0: Hello and welcome to Shifting the Perception of Type 1 Diabetes, brought to you by InFlight Type 1, the UK's first and only cycling, running and triathlon teams to be made up entirely of athletes living, racing and thriving with type 1 diabetes.
1: Good evening everyone, I hope you're well, um, we've got a very... Uh, a special guest, definitely special guest. Uh, we've got a re- yeah, bit of something a bit different tonight, which, which I'm excited about. Um, so, but everyone would remember, will remember Dave coming on, uh, yeah, a couple of months ago and telling us about this amazing challenge that he was going to do. So, coast to coast, which I'm sure a lot of people heard of, but coast to coast and then back again. So, across one side of the country. To the other side of the country if that's not enough and then back again right so i mean that in itself is is some challenge right and we all know living with Taiwan being away for that amount of time is challenging enough <laughs> but doing that on a bike and exercise and everything else that goes along with it is it is it, pretty impressive to be honest. um for so, so, so anyone you know would live living just with a no condition, That's really impressive. So to do it with, you know, Type 1 and all of the challenges, let's say, that comes with it, is is something that um, I'm sure Dave is really proud of. And I, I know we're all really proud of him. And I think it really does show what is possible living with Type 1. There is no there is no barriers. There, there, there are no barriers. And I think it's, you know, every time I see someone uh, living with Type 1 doing something amazing like that, I think it's just a great advertisement for... Um, you know w- what is possible if you, if you put your mind to it because a lot of people I think there's still a massive stigma and that's why I was I was speaking to Wendy the other day actually when I saw her there's even people that I socialise and mix with a lot they still really don't understand type 1 re- they just don't understand it uh, they've got a very very basic understanding and I think with certainly something I I want to uh, promote and get better at is, is educating um, people I, I, you know, that don't know much about it because even people that are close to me, that their knowledge and understanding is, it's very basic. You know, and I think it's important for us to educate people because, a, if you're spending lots of time with people, you want them to know, you know, w- what it's like, and b, I think there's a you know, there's a lot of work to do still. There's a there's a big stigma that goes along with it, and. I'm sort of digressing a little bit, but I mean, the point I'm making here is when, you know, when whatever challenge you do as a top one, and that's what I was saying on the first call when Dave came on, I think it's important to to someone. It's important to you. So that challenge, if that's, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be an epic one like Dave. It can be something as small as, you know, if you've never run 5k or 10k or whatever it is. That in itself is is something that you should be you should be proud of living with Taiwan, because it is difficult as we know it is it is difficult you know but it's not impossible. Um, so I'm really looking forward to sit to hearing about Dave's uh, epic ride um, <laughs> and hearing some of the interesting stories. So um, I'll hand it over to Dave. So thank you very much.
2: Over to you, Dave. Thanks, okay. That was a that was a great introduction. Feels like. Uh... Yeah, there's lots of things that would be really interesting to touch upon, especially around the kind of uh, the mental challenge of doing something like this, as well as the physical challenge. Obviously, the intertwining of of type one diabetes as a as a very particular kind of challenge to be able to overcome in any kind of exercise. This this uh, specific for for me. You might remember a couple of well, a month or so ago, like AK mentioned, I, I went through a little bit more about what the kind of this challenge entailed which i'll briefly run over again but what i'm kind of interested to do today is maybe field some questions to really get to the bottom of what it is that everybody's specifically kind of interested in knowing a little bit more about but like ak mentioned brief overview the idea came about probably about a year ago and um i was quite familiar with this particular coast to coast route the way of the roses which connects um, Morecambe on the west coast and Bridlington on the east coast, and you can kind of do it either way. Um, most people tend to do it west to east. I think mainly because there's usually a slightly better wind. There's normally a prevailing wind that kind of is a kind of cross the tailwind. But people do do it east to west um, fairly regularly. Um, I knew about it quite a lot because I grew up in Hull, which is just maybe 20 miles south of Bridlington, really the furthest east point on it. So quite a lot of people I used to ride with in Hull would do the way of the roses. Most people would do it over kind of two or three days, one way. Some people would try and do it in one day, one way. And then when I was kind of devising this this kind of challenge, the next challenge off the back of some previous kind of long-distance challenges, um, I looked at the mileage specifically, didn't look at the elevation at this point, point. I thought, well, maybe I could try and aim for between somewhere between 330 to 350 miles, which would mean going both ways. And then I started telling loads of people that I was going to start doing this before I properly looked at the properly looked at the elevation and, uh, and there was something which probably was the reason why I actually ended up finishing it was that I was too uh kind of proud to um to go back on my word after telling so many people subsequently realized that there's an incredible amount of climbing especially when you're doing it both ways um but again i have kind of committed to it told enough people and then on the 17th of June this uh well actually on the 16th of june um a few weeks ago on the friday evening at half past 10 i found myself in bridlington near the way the roses sign on the east coast um alongside my mum and dad who were which subsequently supported me um on the the journey so i sat for half past 10 and that first kind of half an hour was was really uh slightly surreal riding through bridlington towards midnight Knowing that I've got to get to Morecambe, turn around and come back, and it's going to be at least kind of 18, 19, 20 hours plus um, on the bike or at least kind of elapsed time. And um, so there's quite a lot of p- uh, planning and prep, which I can talk a little bit more about. I can talk about some of the um overall kind of statistics of it. And I can also talk, obviously, a lot about the mental challenges and the challenges of diabetes. But I wondered if there's any particular place that anybody wanting me to start kind of. Delving into to begin with. If anyone any, any questions?
1: Yeah, thanks. Well, how did you? So, how did you sort of tackle your insulin regime? So le- leading up to it and during. I
2: would. I would is, is what I'd like to know. Great. So, one of the yeah one of the main challenges was it was quite hard to 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 have like a dry run for something like this. Um, I'd, a couple of years ago think like I mentioned previously that I did have the a twenty four hour ride. Um so I've got some experience of what it's like in terms of reducing a background insulin, thinking about my kind of rapid acting and how I would kind of manage that. So I had a little bit of experience, but there was a sense of the unknown uh with this particular challenge and setting off at half past ten at night, it was a slightly unknown about my background. So what I actually did was I reduced my background insulin that I would normally take in the evening. And by two thirds, so I took a third of what my typical dose would be knowing that I'd be, rather than going to sleep and being inactive, I would, could be on top of my activity basically all the time that that would be in my system. So I reduced that by two thirds. I also had a, like a bowl of porridge. I think it was like a a fairly kind of the sort of meal I would eat normally before going on on a, on a, on a ride. And I reduced the amount of rapid acting insulin. Um, by about a third. So I gave myself enough to kind of get in my system, but nowhere near enough to to balance me back down to a normal um, blood sugar level, knowing that an, an hour later, I was going to start exercising. And what I found was the first um, three or four hours, I was regularly monitoring my blood sugar just to see how it settled in. Um, and as the ride went on, well, the kind of middle period, I tested my blood sugar ever so slightly less frequently i was still testing it really really regularly but in that middle section when once i realized my my bloods had kind of entered into quite a nice range i felt much more kind of confident and then towards the end of the ride i was testing it more regularly again similar to the first part because it became increasingly more difficult to take on carbohydrates so i was just well aware that i didn't want there to be any kind of plummeting uh, in the last kind of four or five hours of the ride Um, and had to think about alternative ways of ingesting carbohydrates towards the end. Um, On that subject, I think I'll talk a little bit more about nutrition because I think that those things kind of go go hand in hand. So I had a a very specific kind of strategy to to how much carbohydrates I was going to be taking on based on um, how much I, I kind of loosely understand the body tends to be able to metabolize over every hour, but also just what my body from previous experience of doing long distance events can kind of handle. So the aim was to to have about 60 to 70 grams of carbohydrates an hour. Um, I'm not, I wasn't anticipating going anything like kind of flat out pace, um, but similarly, I wouldn't be kind of just going on a kind of saunter ride. So it was somewhere in the middle. So I knew I'd be kind of burning through energy fairly quickly, um, but, but because I wasn't going kind of flat out, I wouldn't give myself this kind of cliff edge where my bloods could go down really rapidly. So I took on about 30 grams of carbs every hour in liquid form to begin with. Um, and then I would take on the remainder in solid form. So I had a, a two, this might be a kind of very banal information, but I had two bottles on my bike. One was water, one was a carbohydrate mixed drink with also had electrolyte solution in as well. So I could take that on. It wasn't me constantly having to eat loads of food. And then I had loads of bars and gels and bits of food on on my person, on a bag, on my bike, so I could kind of supplement the the physical, the the kind of solid food with uh, a carbohydrate drink. And it was, for me, it was really important to have water as well, because after four or five hours, especially if you're taking on like a sweet drink all the time, you just need something to to steady the stomach, to balance things out. Um, There's this kind of process of when you lay everything out when you're planning, you're packing the support car, you're thinking about what you're going to put in your pockets. You've got all this food and typically you'd be like, oh great, I'm going to be able to eat all of that food. I'm going to be able to eat all of that food. I love that that thing. I have these really nice kind of you know, peanut butter and jam sandwiches. I'm a big fan of them. Some Nutella sandwiches, all these Cliff bars. After six hours in, like, I just didn't want to see another Cliff bar. I didn't want to see another sandwich but you know you've kind of got to keep on top of it. So having a variety of things was really important for me. Um, and that was where the benefit of, of having a support car. So I had a, a, my parents who helped me kind of plan the route. They drove the route with me. So every 10 miles they would stop. So they would overtake me and stop in the way by. And it would give me the opportunity to stop if I wanted to or carry on if I wanted to. And what's quite useful about it being some people who are so close to you like your parents is you don't feel any obligation out of politeness to stop you can kind of be like I'm just going to go straight past them they don't feel like you need to stop and have kind of polite conversation because they're there ultimately to support however many times you need to stop Um, and my dad specifically was um, very well versed he supported me in similarly long distance events so he's quite pragmatic so when he knew I was slowing down he would open the boot he'd open up all the food Kind of uh, tupperwares and everything like that. I would tell him exactly what I felt like I wanted, and he would crack on. He would swap the lights over. He would do this, that, and the other to allow that stop to be as efficient as possible, and allow me to just recover for two or three minutes before I got back on the bike and and, and headed back out on the route. Awesome. So, was you was you
1: balancing this? Sorry, i Was you were you, you was when you was eating? Is that right? A
2: little bit, yeah. So. To begin with, before I started, I had yeah like a, a slightly reduced version, a slightly reduced dose, sorry. Um, and then as there was only, I think there was two points during the, the ride where the blood sugar started to creep up a little bit. I think it was possibly six hours in and then 12 hours in. And I gave myself a very, very small dose to almost just bring it down a little bit, almost to kind of the way I was thinking about it was kind of reinvigorating the system to allow that sugar from the blood to be put back into the cells um but i was very very cautious that it was only one one and a half units when my bloods were maybe around kind of 12 um, to just bring it down a little bit so the fluctuation range was um the lowest i think it went to was six maintains my blood sugar was six the highest it went to i think was 13 and that was one of the instances where i just took a little bit of uh, rapid active insulin to bring it down so i was quite happy that it sat around there and it probably averaged out around nine which gave me a useful buffer of a few um kind of points basically in case it needed to go down and believe me like there's a there was a lot of planning that went into it but there was also we all know it's type one diabetics there was a lot of um positive circumstance that meant that my blood sugars were in that range i've subsequently i rode the following weekend and did a kind of a 85 90 mile ride and had a very um straightforward rinse and repeat regime in terms of insulin and my blood sugars were really high so definitely there was some um someone looking down on me thinking i'm going to give you some positive blood sugar look for this long ride and because we all know it's not always the case no matter how much you plan so there was it allowed me to perform consistently throughout the, the duration of the coast to coast and back Amazing! What I saw about you I had really good control
1: there. Thanks. Um, there's a, there's a couple of questions coming in. Um Live streaming guests. who is that? Henry, isn't you? If he is, you, you're on mute. I love
2: Well, Wendy's, Why,
1: Wendy, Wendy's up. Wendy, 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 Wendy. Uh, can't uh, be it. So, so Wendy can go. Uh,
2: um,
1: I'm just well i'm almost speechless i'm in awe of what you've done and just those blood sugars just incredible i don't know how you managed to keep it in range so amazingly so well done um i'm particularly interested about the next day because obviously you know we all know that when you've done something like that the next day when your glycogen stores have all gone you know how did you manage the next day after the ride what did you do sort of diabetes wise
2: yeah that's a really good point actually and something i think um, I often don't consider with enough kind of, enough consideration into into the, the recovery times as, as I do the actual kind of delivery of an event. Um, so, what was quite positive, I think, for this particular event compared to previous long distance events that I've done is that by the time I'd finished and got back into Bridlington, it was nine o'clock in the evening. So, there was this very similar kind of sleep pattern. Obviously, the sacrifice is that you start at 10, half past 10 ish the night before so you basically awake all day and then you start the ride so once you got over that hump um finishing a normal sort of time meant that i could get back into a normal sleep routine I basically just drove back to my parents house from bridlington well i didn't drive they drove um and uh and and it took about 20 minutes so i was in bed by 10 o'clock and i think i just shut my eyes and woke up again at seven uh, and quite extraordinarily the blood sugars were were very stable throughout the night so i was obviously testing quite a lot before i went to sleep um i think i gave myself a similar, similar two thirds reduced background insulin that evening before i went to sleep but i also made sure that i had plenty of um Halibur, basically anything that i needed right next to me in bed hypothetically in case i woke up and i was having a high so i could even
1: check it. on you so did your mum check her?
2: Apparently she did. I was obviously I, patched out. I, I yeah. She said the next morning that she kept yeah. coming in and checking I was just
0: like, I'm yeah.
2: asleep. But she was just, just checking how I was breathing and everything. And obviously uh I, I was. So the next day itself was a very sedentary day generally. Um and I was just testing, probably twice as much as I as as I normally would. Um I didn't change the um the way that I dosed my kind of quick rapid acting every time I ate but I did find that I wasn't interested in eating a great deal especially for the first half of the day because I think I still had quite a lot of carbohydrates quite a lot of stuff in my system so I think I had some eggs in the morning something that was pretty carb light a couple of bits of toast maybe things like that and it wasn't until maybe a couple of days afterwards that my full appetite started to return then it was much easier but I don't I didn't actually change the ratios the day after, apart from the the, the background, the, the evening of. Um, but again, I was just very much aware that things can change quite significantly. So I was just testing a lot, trying to keep on top of it, um, rather than just assuming my normal daily pattern would 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 help and 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 hopefully it answers that a little bit better. Yeah, good, good.
1: That's that's. Uh, to be fair though, I think that's sort of... For me personally That's generally the thing And I've never done An event quite like that But if I do like A longer day For me sometimes The, the day's fine The control's fine But a, it can often be The day after Which I've really struggled yeah. with And it'll yeah. be It'll be either Too too sensitive I'll either be too sensitive And I'll be Going live with some Or I'll be the other way So I Certainly no i thing think that So well done mate Yeah Yeah well done Really well done, done. They I think just... we've got Some more questions yeah. uh, is... Give me this time Yes. yes finally sorry
0: I'm, I'm i have teams open on three windows live streaming this so uh things get a little bit complicated when you're trying to live stream on three platforms at once um but i think what you've shown there is that or, or it sounds like in terms of managing you like you like deficit and managing that fueling the fact that it's kind of had very little knock on effect through the next day says that you were fairly consistent and fairly fairly good with your fueling kind of i know from having done some 12 hour stuff before and i've done some kind of 24 hour mountain bike events that um that that eating uh particularly kind of strange times of the night and things like that can be really really difficult and 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 kind of having to remind yourself so i'm just wondering did you do anything uh did you do anything to kind of you know uh, remind yourself in terms of you know really keeping on track that this is every 20 minutes i'm going to have drunk half a bottle or or anything like that
2: yeah that's a really good question actually um i was talking to somebody quite recently about this so my garmin uh bike computer which i was using um obviously all the time to track the distance and mileage all that sort of stuff um, but i was also using it as a gps and quite fortunately the preset on my garmin and um, every time i cover five miles it gives me a notification of how long that's taken me it's like a little time split and it beeps it comes up on the screen for 10 seconds and then it continues on the on the map and what i was finding i, I find that's very useful when i'm doing long distance time trials because it helps me understand loosely what my average split time is when I'm doing most things are with denominations of five so you do a 10 mile time trial 25 mile 50 mile 100 mile but what I found with this was that I knew I was on a pretty good pace if that went off every 20 minutes so if I was covering five miles every 20 minutes then when that beeped I thought okay where was the last time I ate okay maybe I need to eat a bar and then by the time I'd finished that ride for a little bit longer it beeps again another five miles have passed and then it reminds me again i need to eat something or make sure that i'm monitoring how much of my bottle i've drunk so this kind of like serendipitous kind of beeping of this preset on my garmin actually was a really wonderful way of being able to segment the, the hours and it also helped break up the time um so i had and this is my personal preference i had just a map on my garmin been shown, so I didn't have the kind of distance or anything. I could toggle through that every now and then if I needed to, but what I didn't want to start doing was looking at the time all the time, looking at a distance all the time as a psychological kind of barrier. So this little notification sending every five miles, it took me 20 minutes, 18 minutes, 22 minutes, whatever that was, was an indication to, to eat. That became increasingly more difficult and the structure of eating and consuming carbohydrates in the, so the last kind of four or five hours became much more i would say ad hoc compared to the, the the previous kind of 10 or 15 hours because it became difficult for me to look at food and want to eat food so i had a lot more um frequent stops a lot of cans of coke um which i knew had the, uh, the kind of the calories i needed it had the carbohydrates i needed it had the electrolytes i needed but also i could i could neck a can of coke eat a couple of bits of flapjack and then get back on the bike um so it became a little bit harder to to stick to that structure towards the end but for sure at the beginning it made the bedrock for me to be able to to get comfortably into the kind of 15 16 hours um mark on andrew well i think you've probably already partly answered what i was going to ask but my question was basically like have you got any sort of
0: techniques or anything to help Eight past the time, but also kind
2: of keeping yourself focused, keeping that high level concentration. You need one for your time and also one one for the nutrition as well. Just like the balance of not getting bored, but also keep your concentration as well if there's any specific techniques used or whether there's a mixture of things. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I, I just saw your, your pop-up Wendy there. So just to give you an idea of the overall time as well, so the Elapsed time was 22 hours and 43 minutes. That's the kind of overall time riding time was 19 hours and 34 minutes. So it gives you an indication of how long I was kind of on the bike. And um, there's loads of things that I would do to try and kind of pass the time. And actually when you're approaching something that you know is going to take a long time, the relative time passes quite quickly. So when you know you're going to be on the bike for 15 plus hours, one hour, doesn't feel very long at all. there's certainly points where like 10 minutes felt like a lifetime um especially towards the end but but yeah for the most part it went quite quickly so i um the nutrition thing the garmin beeping knowing when to eat was a big part of being to past the time the fact that on the navigation um on my garmin it would say x amount of miles before the next turn or like 0.5 miles before the next turn so it automatically kind of segments it up for you that was a really good way of um, I've been able to kind of change things up. And if you see a climb in front of you, getting to the top of the climb, another kind of 15 minutes has gone. So when you start doing that, it really starts to chip away at the time. A lot of people found found it quite um, strange. I didn't, didn't listen to any music. Um, and for that amount of time, it's kind of, you just basically got your own company. Or when I stop and talk to my mum and dad, when I'm having some food in the back of the car, like from the boot, that's like the only sort of social interaction you have or waving to a cyclist coming the other way or on the way back, especially west to east, you do meet quite a lot of groups who are doing coast to coast um, from Walkham to Bridlington either in a day or they're, they're doing it up to kind of Borough Bridge one day and then from Borough Bridge to Bridlington for the second day. So you do meet a few people but the hard thing is you don't, you never really ride at anyone else's pace because either there's a group that are going a little bit too quick or you pass people and you don't want to slow down. So, so really it was a lot of just me being with my own head. I would sing out loud quite a lot um which again sounds kind of strange but it was something that I realized when I did a 24 hour ride previously was quite useful to um pass the time and to keep you happy. So every now and then if I felt like it was my mood was going down I would start singing, I would actively start smiling. Again it's the it's the musings of someone who's going insane, I guess. Um, but but those things really helped. And it helped me realise, oh, I, I can have lots of fun, despite the fact that it's been particularly difficult. And the final thing that I realised quite early on was I just needed to be able to exercise a level of patience, which um, is quite hard when you know what you've got coming. So the first, say, 70 or 80 miles, you don't really see many cars because it's in the middle of the night. Um, all you want to do is get to Morecambe so you know that everything after that is the second half. is the kind of, you've broken halfway. But you can't, because of the distance, is 160, 170 miles. You can't sprint to Morecambe hoping that you've got enough energy to get back again. So there's this constant thing of, okay, I've got to be patient. I can't push too hard. And all those little things, it's surprising when you've got a mindful and stuff like that, how quickly the, the time does, does pass. Yes. Yeah, I beg very much for that. Just, just in terms of kind of your own
0: uh, psyche, if you like, were there any points on the journey that that you really had any, uh, you know, any doubts that crept in, or kind of any any points that maybe you, you didn't think you were
2: going to make the twenty four hours or anything like that? Yeah, there was a couple of bits. I mean, not making the twenty four hours for me at the time was. Um, I tried to put that to the back of my mind because I thought, well, if I need to, if something happens, then as long as I do it in one go, that's enough for me fortunately it kind of did fit within the 24 hours relatively comfortably in the end Um, but there was a couple of occasions or a couple of things that stick in my mind about kind of psychological challenge so on the way out the first half of it is rolling, it's a few hills but you get to just past York to a place called Pately Bridge Um, and you still have quite a lot of energy and you've been able to maintain quite a good average speed. The minute you hit Pately Bridge is when you start to hit these quite severe and steep climbs and you're either going up or you're going down yeah, Greenhow is like, uh, just seems to come out of nowhere. This climb that kind of goes up, and then you think you've got to the top, and it goes up again, and I feel like it goes up again. And um, so when you normally when you get to the top of a climb, you if you're doing a looped route, or if you're just going from one place to another, you get to the top of the climb, and you have this wonderful relief where you get to go down and, and, and think, well, I'm making up for all the time that I was climbing by going down here at 30 mile an hour or whatever. But what happened to me on the way out was that when you start coming down, you have the euphoria of descending until you're about halfway down and you think, I've got to come back up this on the way back. So you, so you start to think, well, is it better that it's a shallower descent? Or is it better that it's a steeper descent? Either way, you're going to have to climb it up. And there was this kind of psychological thing. The minute you started to descend for the first time where you think, okay, I've got a lot more of these humps to go up and down. Um, on the way back, as I started to kind of tick off the hills and I knew that I didn't have to climb those again it became much easier psychologically to think, okay, well, I've kind of broken the back of it, one more hill down, all that sort of thing. And then there was another point where I was kind of moving to, towards this uh, village called Millington, which is probably the last kind of little climb, Millington and It, which is not too far from kind of Driftfield on the east part of the country. And because I, my parents were stopping every 10 miles, um, I knew that I knew that I'd look out for the white Audi car and my dad was wearing a red jacket and my mum was wearing a pink hoodie. And I kept thinking, I am absolutely exhausting and I know I've got 15 miles left. And I kept thinking, the white Audi is going to be around this corner. And I got around the corner and knew it there. So I thought oh, i would be around the next corner. Kept doing this and it kept saying like 0.5 miles to the next corner. So I kept going around to the point where I thought I'm just going to put everything in to get to the top of this hill and this climb. Got around the corner. You weren't there. I was thinking that they're playing a trick that my dad's purposely parking further away as like some sort of incentive. Anyway, I just got my phone out and said, Look, I have no idea where you are. And said, Oh, we're in Millington. And I had no idea where that was. Um, I said, Well, I'm going to keep going, but can you turn around and meet me somewhere because I need to kind of cut across something. I just need some sort of pick me up. Anyway, they were around that next corner. Um, So I, I saw them maybe 200 yards in front and uh, my back was killing me because you were obviously in, in a very similar position for, for a long period of time. Had a can of Coke, had two small flapjacks and then set off again and then just started flying. And it was just this little pick me up and I just thought, okay, well, that's it now. That's it for the, the lows. And they were, it was like this. And one bit of, um, one thing I kept thinking about from, and this comes from a bit of experience of doing longer rides is that for me at least, no matter how bad it gets, if you ride through it, it will get better. And that feels like it's easy to believe the first time, the second time, the third time. But you kind of have to have experienced it eight, nine, ten times to know that it's definitely going to keep, you're going to keep kind of coming out of that, that trough to, to find another peak. And part of the challenge is being able to manage your mental state, for me at least, to be able to keep the faith that it's going to get easier um, where it's really, really difficult. You you touched
0: a little bit there on on kind of you know your back and and the and the physical challenge. You know there's one thing here is the emotional challenge. There's the challenge in terms of being able to control your, your glucose, but also the physical challenge. Were there any changes that you made coming into the event or during your training in terms of bike position setup, anything like that 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 you did to to kind of account for the like fact you to be in one position for for 24 hours?
2: So I kind of purposely did. opposite and not change didn't really change anything so my only other experience of doing a 24 hour ride um i did on a time trial bike um a couple of years ago this was this kind of fairly flat 20 mile route that i did around east yorkshire to see how far i could go in 24 hours and i intentionally did that on a time trial bike to increase the possibility of going further but what i realized with a time trial bike because i've been racing on it for so many years was it was incredibly comfortable at that for that particular event especially because the position of being able to rest a lot of your weight on your forearms um change the way kind of physiologically it's put strain on your body um i'd done kind of 12 13 hour rides on my road bike which is what i did the coast to coast and back on um but i'd never gone for, for, for that long uh, beyond that point sorry so what i tried to do was purposely not make any changes so my bike has been i've had this bike for about 15 years so i kind of joke that i've kind of rather than getting a bike to fit me my body's kind of grown to somehow fit the bike um a couple of people suggested that I use clip on time, uh, like uh, triathlon bars, which would be better in terms of our dynamics. I've tried them a little bit for a couple of weeks, um, but it was just too dissimilar to my position on a time trial bike, um, especially things about like, the saddle position, um, the handlebar, and the flexibility. And also, similarly, to be able to have enough space on the handlebars for all the lights and everything like that to be able to actually be able to see. So I tried to tweak a couple of bits, but then ended up reverting back to the position which my body kind of got used to from, from doing lots of different sporty uses you know, sort of on, on on that bike. So it was just my kind of race bike setup. I did change the wheels. That was one thing that I did change on the bike. So normally I ride with like um, 60 mil deep carbon um, wheels just as standard, um, but they've got carbon braking surface. And what I didn't want to happen was that if it started to rain, Sometimes descending with those, you don't have quite this, the the best sort of grip, especially if you're unfamiliar with the descents, which I would be unfamiliar with them. So I swapped them out for some sort of shallower um, aluminium box section wheels, which were fairly light. It just meant that I had a better braking surface in the in the wet. It did rain for about three hours on the return leg, so I'm quite glad that it that I did swap them out because I think being able to descend, having the confidence, especially when you're tired, that when you press the brakes, it's actually going to work, was um, was quite reassuring.
0: Yeah, there's some there's some pretty nasty descents, especially like if you're coming down Greenhow back into Pateley as well. So I think I think discs would have been uh, could, should have been on the cards maybe. Yeah, uh, yes, yeah, for sure, maybe. for sure. Just staying on the on the equipment front uh, in terms of clothing, you know, you mentioned the rain there a little bit, but just was there anything that you you know did or wish you had done from a clothing perspective? And and uh, I think I asked half tongue in cheek, but also seriously, how many pairs of shorts did you wear across the twenty two hour? <laughs>
2: Well yeah, clothing was a good uh, really important thing to touch on and um, and that was one of the big benefits of having a support car for something like this, was that they could have clothing, and most of the clothing that I took as spares, I didn't wear, because you just take it for all eventualities Um, so i set off in the evening with a short sleeve jersey, shorts uh, in flight, Gina and uh, and some arm warmers, um, and a base layer and that was perfect in terms of temperature, a little bit chilly to start with, but the minute you start to kind of move through, um, you start to start to get warmer. What you, I did find is after you stop, you realise like how how sweaty you are, basically, when you start getting the cold. um You don't want to do that too many times before you want to change jersey. So I changed my jersey a few times. and me. And I also um put on a, like a ruby lined, like a fleece lined, long sleeve jersey for a proportion as well. I wore the same socks all the way through. I wore the same shorts all the way through. Um In a way, because shorts were had they'd got wet they'd, but they were in the kind of perfect position um, you all know what it's like when you kind of set off on a ride sometimes you kind of shorts are in the right position but somehow they become like body paint after a certain amount of time and I also didn't want to face the kind of idea of having to kind of peel a pair of shorts off Um in a way I just wanted to kind of forget that almost like you've even got them on and just know that they're, they're, they're there I mean if it was really really wet for a considerable period of time I probably would have swapped them but it was only raining for about three hours and and then it was really good sunshine so it kind of dried them off quite quite a lot I mean granted the shorts could probably stand on them on their own when I took them off they were kind of yeah they're they just so mucky and everything but um but yeah one pair of shorts uh, all the way through they served me well
0: you need to adopted uh, alex dowsett's short putting on technique that he that he posted the other day where he does like a little of deep squats in order to get them to rise up kind of right, right. <laughs> oh uh, Andrew, I can see you get your hand up, so you want to jump in?
2: Yeah, just um, when 9 o'clock came, when you got to the finish line, when you first put your hand on that side that you finished the ride, what was the first thought that went through your head? Was it relief? Was it elation? What was it the first thing that you... It was total relief. Um, this section, if you ever done it that way there's a section where you're getting towards bridlington and then you um you get to this kind of village called Burton agnes and what i didn't realize it was still a bit of a climb so you climb through Burton agnes and i knew obviously knew that from coming out the other way and i knew the top point where i could basically freewheel into bridlington and then just hustle without any effort and i just remember feeling that it took ages because i was just thinking i'm going to turn the corner sooner i'm going to be able to see this sign and, uh, I've never been so relieved to, um, to stop cycling. And I had a really, really incredible time. There was like one of the best bike rides I've ever experienced. Some of the best kind of scenery, some of the most kind of tranquil moments, all these sorts of things. But similarly, like it feels like it's not too much of an exaggeration to talk about it as like quite a traumatic experience at points as well, because you Everything is telling you to, to stop, but you feel like you've got to find some reason to keep going. Like, there were so many points when I was riding where I kept thinking, well, what if I stop, get in the car, get my dad to drive at 16 mile an hour? And then that, I'll be thanks because well, I keep my garment on, and then it'll be all these things in your head. Anyway, I, what I did subsequently realize was that even if I had to stop, there wasn't enough room in the car for my bike and me. So there was some like weird, weird thing that we hadn't even considered the idea of stopping. I'd have to stop, and they'd have to go drive, bring me the car. I would have to do some sort of logistical nightmare. So when I actually got to the end and I touched the sign, I uh, I just put my head in my hands and involuntarily just burst into tears. It was because I'd just maybe just like held on to all of this kind of this stuff. It's worth knowing as well that like during the period of leading up to it, during it, and then at the moment, I'm producing a film. So I make small films anyway for uh, my job and. I did that a lot when i was going through art school and things i have started engaging with making films again so i've been making a documentary about the the ride but also about diabetes around kind of my own experiences with mental health all these sorts of things so all the way through the ride it was all these things that like no other ride that i'd ever kind of embarked on were just swirling in my head so when i kind of got to the end it was some sort of relief that like the hardest bit of this whole process is now is now done and it all just kind of came out and there's a section in the documentary um or even that short video that i put in which is my mum asking me like what happens when you say you want to do something like this again what do you want and i just said never a guess. and like it's only been two weeks but that's already starting to kind of lift from my mind. and remind as the- I was thinking, what's what's next on the horizon of you already yeah. and you're- think of a few ideas time is like this wonderful ability to just remember the best bits but there was a couple of points where I was starting to get really exhausted and thinking oh I remember this feeling this is like doing this other event that I did so you the more you do maybe the sooner that kind of feeling of, of dread and fatigue kind of kicks in and you feel like you have to kind of use your mental reserves to to pull yourself out of that absolutely and just can we can we just rewind a little bit back to the nutrition
0: and just one of the questions at the time that that kind of I was thinking of is: is there anything you wish you'd done from a nutrition point of view that you didn't do? So you, you know, you mentioned that you had your Nutella sandwiches. You mentioned that you had your peanut butter jam sandwiches or peanut butter jelly sandwiches, um, and kind of things. Is there anything that that when you, you know when you got twelve hours in, uh, you were craving and when I wish had had X or?
2: There was some bits where all I really wanted was salt, and I think that was a subsequent thing of being a little bit dehydrated. Um, no matter how much electrolytes you take on to some degree it feels a little bit like your just your your damage limitation kind of the managing that degradation of your of your electrolytes and kind of salts in your in your body. Um I really wanted I really wanted a bag of salty chips basically and you think going from Bridlington to Morecambe, there's loads of opportunities. But you set off at Bridlington at half past ten and everything's closed. I got to Morecambe at nine o'clock in the morning, everything's closed. And I got back to Bridlington at nine at night, everything's closed. All I wanted was like a bag of um, like seaside chips with loads of salt and vinegar um, and it feels like there probably be loads of points at which I could have stopped and and, and requested that if I said that to my dad I'm a woman dad or whatever they'd probably have gone and got me a muckies or something uh, got me a McFlurry or whatever but um, but I think part of the, the food thing was that I knew in my head it was like a, it wasn't really any enjoyment in really eating any of it when you're actually riding but it was more just like uh thinking of the food as fuel and less like like food um obviously especially towards the end but i don't think it was anything i craved apart from maybe some kind of i had a couple of bags of like salt and vinegar crisps and um, that you just kind of like shove in as quick as possible um but there's nothing very glamorous about um about the food that you have on off. and then you also have loads and loads of food left over um so for a few days afterwards my dad was sending me pictures of him eating like peanut butter and jam sandwiches or um, extra bits of pasta that we didn't eat or you'd just be having like a cliff bar or, or things like that just around the house.
0: At the end at the end of the ride were you like you could take all these cliff bars. I did not want to see another cliff yeah. bar.
2: Yeah. And they were great because like I was quite lucky that Cliff Bar sent me loads of stuff to to have. So I use it quite a lot in training and things. But like whatever your kind of favourite thing is if you're a massive fan of Big Macs. If all you had to eat was Big Macs for ages, you'd soon be kind of thinking it's going to be a bit of time before I have another Big Mac. Um, so I'm starting to like open the cupboard and see the big stacks of cliff bars and thinking, eh, I could probably take one of them out on a ride and not feel like I'm going to kind of, yeah, vomit it up or something out of disgust now. So
0: we, uh, as kids, we, um, uh, my dad used to work at the Vitti's factory and brought back. Uh, a box when they were commissioning the new line of penguins, and it was a pallet. It was a one by one meter box, and we were giving these things away. The postman would come to the door, and our parents would be like, "Quick, give him a, give him a, a ten pack of, of penguins." And it was genuinely about fifteen years before I ate another penguin after that. So I can uh, I can completely appreciate how you might be feeling having eaten, or eaten. <laughs> even with the variety, it sounds like you put on uh, not wanting to eat another uh, Nutella peanut butter jelly, or uh, yeah, no. for a good few weeks.
2: And you just you having to consume so much all the time, not just in terms of carbohydrates, but I guess um, there probably could have been a way in which I tracked how many kind of calories I consumed, for example. Um, but I know that the estimate, the estimation that came up on Strava was, I think it was twenty-two thousand calories that I kind of burnt, which is like a it's like a week of what I would normally. Eat. Um, so there's, a, there's that thing of feeling like you're having to kind of replenish a lot of that. Um, that's those food stores afterwards, which is the excuse I gave myself and I was eating tons a week after, after a couple of dinners.
0: And that's a huge amount of calories, even, you know, to just even, to try and consume 22,000 calories in one 24 hour period. I don't think anyone could manage that, let alone whilst being bent over, over double on a bike. So it's, I think that's testament to kind of the body's ability to be able to, to get energy from other sources as well. Um, and I, I suspect if you looked at your calories, I'd be shocked if you broke the 10,000 mark even. Even with all your different sources and things, so yeah. phenomenal how the human body works like that.
2: Any other final questions? I'm aware of? Uh, uh, I don't no. want to keep people for too long. Any more?
1: for anyone? I was good. Yeah, I was so uh, Really good. Really enjoyed that. It was um. Thirty.
2: <laughs> Got a visitor.
1: She should be better. though, was she said. I don't. <laughs> Well, look, If there's um, if there's no more questions, I think we'll end there. Um, that that was very good, Dave. Thank you very much, for that, mate, um, well done again. Um, I can only say how amazing I think that 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 challenge is, and I uh, uh, well, I know we
2: all appreciate you coming on and and sharing sharing your experiences. So, thank you very much. Um, uh, just one more yeah. thing. I think okay, um, I, was, I think it's worth mentioning that for me, that was obviously still a huge challenge but I think for everyone it's still really uh, kind of relative so before I started cycling cycling 10 miles, 20 miles, 30 miles these are all like huge challenges it just, it's worth mentioning because I think everybody has their own kind of milestones that they want to achieve um, especially I think as everybody, as as type 1 diabetics, like the, the challenge of just getting out the door and doing exercise alone is, is a huge thing I think I've really benefited um from cycling quite a lot before i was diagnosed so there was almost no no way that i was going to stop cycling um but i think for a lot of people just obviously everybody on this this call and part of in flight are already on that kind of journey of seeing one of the benefits are diabetes and, and exercise but for me it's like in one part the physical side of things but like a huge part is the the ability to kind of have a better mental health through exercise through diabetes uh, having diabetes and managing it in that way so so yeah just wanted to add that no no Christian, i think i think that's uh i think that's a really key point like
1: i said at the stars well um you know i think uh so this challenge is quite scary for a lot of people to look at well wow, but um equally i thought you know hopefully it inspires other people to do to do whatever is challenging for them because you know everyone is everyone's challenge is different isn't it so but no that was really good tonight, um, Dave. Appreciate it. Um, we'll see you guys for for next week. Keep your eyes peeled because we're gonna hopefully be releasing, uh, or I'll say eyes. Keep your eyes and ears peeled. But we're gonna be releasing the podcast, which will be a, a regular thing. So hopefully that can, uh, you know, people can listen to that uh, uh, in the car on the way to work or whatever it is. So and um, yeah, we've got some good things around that for that as well. So hope everyone has a good weekend. Dry on that.
0: Well, I just stuck in the chat uh, the link to uh, to Dave's fundraising um, page. Dave, you, you kind of didn't touch on it too much about why you were doing this event, but um, but I think it's just worth worth it if anyone doesn't realise that that Dave was doing this for uh, for charity. It wasn't just a personal challenge for himself.
2: Um, so I was doing it for the yeah. Thanks for that, Henry. Um, so I was doing it for the charity that I work for. So it's just a charity called Paces, um, the base in South Yorkshire and They support children, adults, and families with cerebral palsy and other motor disorders like Parkinson's and MS, and people recovering from strokes. So yeah, just a little way to kind of to, to fundraising and, and allow people a, an avenue to show their support. So it's going to be up for a few more months. Um, I think there's about sixteen hundred quid in there, or fifteen hundred quid, or something like that at the moment. So anything is, and I've, I can see a lot of you have already donated and prior and post. So that's a, a, a big thank you for everyone. For, for doing that,
1: yeah, no, brilliant. Cheers, cheers, Dave. No,
2: um, hope everyone has a good weekend, and uh,
1: once again, thank you very much, Dave. Cheers, guys, have a good one. Cheers, thanks, all. Take You've been
0: listening to Shifting the Perception of Type 1 Diabetes, the podcast brought to you by In Flight Type 1, the UK's first and only cycling, running, and triathlon teams to be made up entirely of athletes living, racing, and thriving with type 1 diabetes, bringing you insights from a collection of over 100 athletes sharing our experiences of living, racing, and training with type 1 diabetes, alongside experts in nutrition, biochemistry, sports medicine, diabetes, and endocrinology. Please go ahead and hit those like, follow, and subscribe buttons, or that little bell icon to be notified when we upload our next episode. And don't forget to follow us on our socials with the handle InFlightType1. Until next time.